where is your husband? Oh, seize oh. her! All right, I got the book for you. Awesome! Now can I please have the cell phone? Sure, Outlander, I'll get it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I will review one of Stephen King's works in the chronological order of publication. Today, we'll discuss the 1984 movie adaptation of Stephen King's short story, Children of the Corn, contained within the book, Night Shift. So I just want to put uh, this particular movie in a little bit of, of context, because by the time it comes out in 1984... Um, it comes out in, in, in the year that, that also marks Stephen King's 10th year anniversary of writing, um, or at least of being a published writer. Um, and this would be the eighth Stephen King film adaptation. So, I mean, any way you look at it, eight adaptations in a 10-year span, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, and each of the films, think about it, uh, each one is, is considered a classic, even if there's a debate um, over the quality of each of the, these films. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say that Children of the Corn... Uh, ranks up there in terms of quality with uh, The Shining, but it's it's still a, a recognizably um, branded name. I mean, just look at the list. We I mean, we have Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Creepshow, Cujo, The Dead Zone, Christine, uh, and by the end of the year, I mean, yeah, Children of the Corn will be released, but but so will Firestarter. So by the end of his 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 tenth year as a published writer, um, nine of his books uh, slash stories will have been adapted, and that is a huge feat, uh, and it's a testament to, to his abilities. And then by the end of the eighties, another eight movies uh, are going to bear the name Stephen King, uh, not including the stories he contributed to uh, to television shows like Tales from the Dark Side or The Twilight Zone. So basically, by the time Children of the Corn came out, uh, Stephen King was a bankable commodity in the eyes of studio executives uh, and a brand that audiences couldn't get enough of. Children of the Corn, um, you know, like I said, it wasn't quite on the same level as The Shining. It's still an enjoyable movie uh, and popular enough to spawn seven sequels and a remake. So before we get into the review, I'm going to take a moment to read the Wikipedia summary. In the fictional town of Gatlin, Nebraska, Job tells the story of how the town became a haven for a group of young cultists. The economy of the town is mostly agricultural, and the town is surrounded by vast cornfields. One particular year, the corn crop fails, and the people of Gatlin turn to prayer in an attempt to ensure a successful harvest. A boy preacher, Isaac, takes all the children into Gatlin into a cornfield to speak to them about the prophecies of a strange, bloodthirsty incarnation of the Abrahamic God called He Who Walks Behind the Rose. Isaac, through his lieutenant Malachi, leads the children in a revolution, brutally killing all the adults in town. Over the ensuing years, the children take the adults passing through as sacrifices. Three years later, Bert and his girlfriend Vicky pass through Nebraska while driving cross-country to Bert's new job as a physician in Seattle, Washington. As they travel in their car, they hit a small boy out on the highway. The boy was one of the Gatlin children who tried to escape the iron hand of the death cult. The couple places his body in the trunk, they encounter an old mechanic who is of no help as the children of Gatlin have employed him to lead all of the adults passing through to the town, but they betray him and kill him anyway. 
Bert and Vicky finally end up in Gatlin after searching for several hours for a phone. A struggle ensues between the couple and the children as the couple are chased through the city. Bert and Vicky rescue Job and his little sister Sarah, who do not wish to be a part of the cult. Vicky is captured by Malachi and is prepared as a sacrifice before they track down and capture Bert and the children. Meanwhile, Malachi and the others have grown wary of Isaac's arrogance. Assuming command over the children, Malachi orders Isaac to be sacrificed in Vicky's place, though Isaac warns them that they will all be punished for this affront, as by sacrificing him, they will have broken their covenant with he who walks behind the rose. Night soon falls, and Bert enters the cornfield to rescue Vicky. The sacrifice begins, and he who walks behind the rose in the form of a writhing, amorphous, pale glowing light seemingly devours Isaac. Bert arrives and battles Malachi, telling the children that their minds have been poisoned and their humanity sacrificed in the name of a false god. As Malachi tries to regain control of the children, Isaac's reanimated corpse, possessed by he who walks behind the rose, appears and kills Malachi, breaking his neck. Soon, a terrible storm gathers over the cornfield, and Bert and Vicky gather the children inside a barn to shield them from he who walks behind the rose's wrath. As the storm intensifies all around them, Job shows a Bible verse to Bert and Vicky that indicates that they must destroy the cornfield for the evil to cease. It is heavily implied that he who walks behind the rose is not the god of the Bible, but an aspect of the devil. While filling the irrigation pumps with gasohol fuel, he who walks behind the rose, this time in the form of both a burrowing, burrowing underground shape and a demonic red cloud, lashes out at Bert, who prepares to destroy the barn. However, Bert is able to spray the fields with a flammable liquid and lights a Molotov cocktail tossing it into the field, burning it, and seemingly destroying the demon. Bert, Vicky, Job, and Sarah survive and are able to leave Gatlin as the cornfields burn. As Bert grabs the map they used to get there, a teenage girl who is a member of the cult jumps out at him from the back seat and attempts to stab him. Vicky knocks her out with the passenger door and the four walk off into the distance to parts unknown. So, um, as I watch the movie, you know, I, I just took some, uh, just some running notes and I'm just gonna, you know, go through them and I'll elaborate, um, you know, here and there, but it's, it's more of a, a mix between just general thoughts and, and a running commentary. So, I mean, as it starts, we get a voiceover from a child who we later learn is Job. Um, and, and learn bits and pieces that only seem to raise more questions. Who is Isaac? You know, why is he in the cornfield and why doesn't dad like him? It, it's a very effective way to start the movie. And then we meet Malachi, uh, who I love in this movie. And uh, Malachi is, is a character in, in this um, movie that, uh, you know, kind of has taken on a, a life of his own. You know, anyone that, that knows the... Uh, this movie, I, I think, tends to tends to know Malachi. Um, you know, Malachi and the others are described um, by Job as acting all creepy, um, and I, I completely agree. Uh, and then we see Isaac from outside, just staring in the window with his black hat. And already, already, he he's just a great villain. You know, there's just something about the kid. Um, you know, he's definitely got a look about him, and and that hat is just ugh. not too many people can rock a hat like that. But Isaac definitely is. Uh, he hasn't even said anything yet. But the, uh, the menace starts to build in the scene as the door is slowly locked. You know, the adults going about their day, not knowing that it's all about to come crashing down all around them. Uh, the coffee uh, spiked with poison uh, tends to take out most of the adults, but then the teens take out the rest through brutal ways. Um, but my vote is, uh, is death by meat slicer. 
I don't know exactly how a food slicer causes instantaneous death, but I'm going to go with it. It definitely worked for me. And then, then uh, all of a sudden we get the credit sequence, which was great. It's just haunting kid music. Anytime you have a bunch of kids singing, it's terrifying. But uh, haunting kid music in the background with, you know, crayon scribbles of happy teenagers taking over the town. And when it's over, we, we meet our adults, Sarah Connor herself, Linda Hamilton, and then star of 30-something, Peter Norton. It's Peter Norton's birthday, we learn, at a not-so-subtle dig uh, for proposal by... Uh, by um, Sarah Connor. And then, uh, my God, um, when Linda Hamilton starts singing in the hotel room, I cannot wait for the Children of the Corn to murder them. You know, I, I honestly do not blame Peter Norton for his reaction, which is to hide under the covers. And then um, it cuts back to the kids, and we learn that some of the kids aren't too happy with the whole Isaac Mordecai regime and decide that it's in his best interest to, uh, to run through the corn while um, another kid inconspicuously screams at the top of her lungs, okay, nobody's looking, as if that's not going to clue anybody off. So as he runs through the corn, he realizes he's being pursued and passes by a spider sitting in its web, insinuating that he's just a fly that doesn't know he's trapped, and yep, yep, he's dead. While in the car, Linda Hamilton drops yet another hint about Norton's commitment issues. And after that morning's Las Vegas act, I don't know how he hasn't locked that down yet. And then while looking at the map, uh, he slams into the runaway boy. Norton realizes that something's wrong with the accident and informs Vicky to head back into the car and lock the doors. He goes to the trunk, he gets a blanket, and smartly, a tire iron. He looks around the corn as if sensing danger. And so, so far in the movie, uh, he, he's not acting like your typical horror movie character. He's actually using some common sense here and trusting his gut. So, I mean, I was that, that kind of perked my interest. I was a little bit invested there. And then Mordecai comes out of the corn and starts stalking Vicky while holding a Halloween prop from Spencer's gifts, and Vicky ignores Bert's advice, unlocking the door and stepping out into the street. Now, granted, he didn't explain a thing to her, you know, such as something like, I don't know, maybe the wounds on the body suggest traumatic knife injuries, not necessarily, you know, impact from a car, so that one's on Bert. You know, maybe he could have been a little bit more open. I know dude doesn't want to marry her, but I mean, maybe he can tell her a little bit more here if, if he thinks that she's in danger. But it turns out that the whole scene is not occurring and is instead just a, a dream, maybe a prophetic warning. Um, and we cut back to the, the, the town of Gatlin, whereupon we learn that Mordecai is not a Monopoly fan. Um, you know, and then we get a little bit more of our, uh, our narration, and I just found it how creepy it is whenever Job says, he who walks behind the rose, because it sounds the entire time like he's narrating a Christmas movie. Um, so, I mean, I think that was, it was a really good decision on the part of the filmmaker to, uh, to have the movie being narrated by one of the kids. It just really gives it a, a different flavor from the other Stephen King movies that we've received so far, um, sets it apart and just kind of adds a, a different kind of creepy tone. And then, um, Bert and Vicky, uh, while in the car, start going through the bloody suitcase that Bert has found in which we find a, a corn cross. And I guess it's supposed to be creepy. Personally, I don't think that it is. Um, and they pull up to meet the world's friendliest gas station attendant. And I was thinking the entire time, maybe if they needed some service, maybe, maybe Vicky should just give him a song and dance. That'll definitely work. Um, then the clouds swirl by around him. He shouts out to the corn that he kept his bargain. Um, he then finds the bloody scarf of his dog, uh, his only friend. Um, and he's going to 
follows soon after. But we don't know exactly what's going on, but I think that we can start to piece it together at this point. This particular character trope has been seen in many films, including Cabin Fever, and is bitingly satirized by a character named Mordecai in Cabin in the Woods. Um, so as this particular character heads into his garage, um, basically just music, uh, like a, an Omen cover band, starts uh, playing in the background, and he faces off against a number of teens and, uh, and does not win. The, uh, the scene then shifts to our hapless duo, the music cutting to a relentless synth score, foreshadowing Vicky's bleak future as she'll have to raise her son to lead humanity against the machines. And then Bert and Vicky take a leisurely ride, drive through the corn, and then, uh, then it cuts back to Malachi, and <laughs> this is what I wrote. Ah, Malachi, your locks flow like the setting sun, and you channel your inner Marlon Brando while shouting lines like, Bring him the blood of the Outlander! Uh, our duo makes it to Gatlin, a ghost town, whilst children hold a black mass in the corn. Kids break into Bert's car, um, and he just immediately, his, his instinct uh, is to just uh, drive them down, <laughs> run them over. He doesn't, thankfully, but that's exactly what it looks like. Uh, Bert and Vicky bicker in the car before exploring a nearby house in which they find Sarah as she listens to uh, Runaway, the devil's music, um, by Del Shannon. Um, and so this, you know, the way that they're bickering, I, I think that it's an inclusion to uh, kind of connect it a little bit more to Stephen King's short story in which Vicky and Bert, it's not even bickering, it's just the two of them hate each other with a passion. Um and uh, it doesn't really make sense for them to be bickering that much. I know that maybe they're a little bit on edge, but this combined with the uh, commitment thing that goes nowhere just kind of detracts um, from what could be a, just a more streamlined story with these two. And then uh, Sarah's explanation that the grown-ups are in the cornfield and that Isaac put them there is chilling. And I don't know how Bert, who had trusted his gut earlier and is clearly in a ghost town whose only inhabitant so far is a young girl muttering about how scary the leader of the town is, doesn't want to just hightail it out of there ten minutes ago. He strolls around downtown, and the kids invade the house with Vicky and Sarah ninja style. Uh, Sarah then draws Vicky a picture that we don't see right away, just Sarah's smiling face and Vicky's troubled reaction, and it's, it's very effective. Malachi makes a grumpy face as his gang has their own Here's Johnny moment at the door. We then see Sarah's picture as she's uh, as Vicky's carried away, and the picture itself is of a bloodied Vicky um, being dragged away into the corn. Meanwhile, Bert snaps too, realizing that town is not as safe as he told Vicky. And I don't know why he would ever tell her that, based on the fact that the only reason they're in town is because he ran over a kid whose neck had been slashed, and returns to Sarah, who tells him that Malachi had gotten a hold of Vicky. Then Bert thinks to himself, hey, the corn just opened up by itself. Why don't I go check out to see where it leads? He takes a step into it, two steps more than any rational corn walker would, and then runs back into town after hearing the bells. Bert busts up the mass and starts flinging kids like Costanza during a fire alarm. He then ignores the blood written on the walls um, and, and, and starts to manhandle the priestess, uh, starts dumping on the religions with less grace than the Westboro Baptist Church at a funeral, more annoyed than anything else when Amos says that the people don't die young, but instead go to him on our 19th birthday. He's taking all of this in way too rationally. Um, there, there's one thing to be not in the know as to what's going on in a horror movie. There, there's another thing to be completely um, actively clueless. And for a guy that started off the movie pretty much kind of thinking that something was wrong and trusting his gut and, and being a little bit more um, rational, he's completely lost credibility in my eyes here. 
Um, there's a scuffle, and he gets stabbed. And for a guy who just got stabbed in the heart, dude just takes off down the street, followed by a horde of screaming children. Seriously, uh, he's completely unfazed at the stab wound. I'm convinced at this point that when he finds Vicky, he's going to ask her if she's Sarah Connor. And then we get some more scenes with Malachi, and I just thought that um, in a perfect world, I'd be able to pay good money to, uh, to listen to Malachi give a one-man line reading of this movie. Um, but I'm not unconvinced that this movie is, is a comedy, because it includes the one... T- it includes the one-two punch of Bert discovering Malachi's kryptonite is a swift kick to the shin, followed immediately by Bert, by Bert turning and smashing his face into the giant wooden post behind him. Bert stumbling out of the barn like Nordberg in the naked gun and Malachi giving his best Peter Griffin shin hiss. Malachi then returns to their cornfield crib. Has a henchman that's at least 40, by the way. And Malachi and Isaac have their Lennon and McCartney moment, just like that time when John strung up Paul on a crucifix in the middle of the corn. So up until this point, there, there hasn't been much supernatural uh, to be had. I mean, Sarah, uh, you know, has she sees things. Uh, she has visions. And the gas station attendant had uh, witnessed clouds flying overhead quickly and, and the, the sense that something bad was going to happen to him. But everything changes when Amos enters the corn for his birthday. Uh, something is seen burrowing under the ground. And Isaac, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, can anyone please explain what the hell happens to Isaac? Um, you know, the he who hides behind the rose comes at him like a uh, special effect from an early 80s uh, MTV music video. And then it's the showdown you've been waiting for. After Bert attempts to steer the movie into an after-school special about what religion can do for you, Malachi comes flying in behind like it's Monday Night Raw. Uh, and unfortunately, it doesn't last long. Malachi gets taken out. Um, and then uh, the next thing you know, the reanimated uh, corpse of Isaac, now possessed by he who walks behind the rose, uh, just, boom, snaps his neck, and that's it for, for Malachi. Um, then after they dispatch he who walks behind the rose with the dazzling limitations of those early 80s computer effects, it's clear that the filmmakers just have no idea how to end this movie. Opting for a last-minute scare, I guess you want to call it, uh, before physically assaulting one last child and then giving up any sort of resolution, the filmmakers just throw up the end on the screen while our uh, actors just shuffle off camera as confused as we are. Um, you know, I, uh, Bert, I, I don't get it. I mean, Bert never overcomes any sort of commitment issues that was clearly established in the movie. In, in fact, he reinforces it at the very end of the movie by growing annoyed at the thought of having to shelter the orphans for more than a week. I, I just, I, I, some of the, the characters' actions here are frustratingly inconsistent. Um, at the beginning of the movie, I, I gave them props for for making Bert and Vicky not your um, typical bonehead you know, horror movie characters, and then Bert all of a sudden starts acting like a bonehead, and, and then that combined with the uh, the whole commitment issues, I, I just don't understand what, what exactly they were trying to do there. Uh, some of the blocking is weak, um, and the, 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 the child actors are atrocious, uh, but honestly, it, it adds to its charm, because if the kids were all evil, it wouldn't be as effective um, you know, I had mentioned how Job, uh, you know, reading the, the, the narration sounds like he should be narrating um, like a children's book. And that juxtaposition definitely makes it work. Um, and then, man, we got Isaac. You know, that dude goes all in. And I love every second of it. You know, I mean, like the performance isn't great. 
Um, but I mean, the kid hams up every scene, you know, with all the nuance of a, a middle school performance. And I wouldn't have it any other way because it's memorable for good or bad. You know, it's definitely memorable. And I just want to give the kid an award for just trying that hard. Um, and then, of course, we have Malachi, who has to deliver awesome lines involving words like outlander and interloper, and he, he, can't, he can't deliver it, um, but it works, and it's memorable, and I love it. I loved every second of it. You know, one thing I didn't love, though, is the anatomy of he who walks behind the rose. I, 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 I just don't get it. You know, is he a cloud? Is he the monster from Tremors? You know, it, it's never quite clear. The decision to make he who walks behind the rose uh, a special effect like that, it, I don't know. It's not a wise idea. But the simple premise of finding a deserted town only to discover that the children of said town slaughter the adults of said town to appease the god of said town that hides within the corn that's terrifying and anyone who has had any experience with cornfields can understand why so when i reviewed uh the de palma and pierce editions of of carrie i did a very in-depth breakdown of the 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 book versus movie and then similarly with the shining i I did the same uh this i just kind of want to talk about just general book versus movie um changes um First of all, in the book, or the book, or the short story, in the short story contained within Night Shift, uh, both Vicky and Bert are awful to each other. They Neither one is a likable character. Uh, you know, they've both come to a point in their relationship that they'll do anything to hurt each other. You know, I mean, at one point in the church, Bert realizes that someone had taken down the sign signaling to him that it isn't a Baptist church anymore. He sees a child's drawing of a creepy Jesus Christ and, and notices that the organ pipes have been filled with corn husks. He gets the sense that he needs to leave, but refuses to because he doesn't want to give Vicky the satisfaction. Um... You know, it's just it's darker. the 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 story in the 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 book is just much darker. There's more mystery. You know, in the movie, we see right away what happens, even if we don't necessarily know why it's happening. You know, that we see the kids, you know, uh, killing the adults. You know, we don't know anything yet about he who walks behind the the rose. We we don't know about the cult. We we don't know. We just know that the adults are being attacked. Um, but in the book, we are as clueless um, and unnerved as our bickering duo um and then when the children finally do come they come like locusts just coming out of nowhere you know there had been hints of life in the town we haven't seen it yet but for the most part it had looked like a ghost town um and and then Bert kind of starts putting two and two together he comes out uh because he hears Vicky laying on the horn and the, the children just streaming out of um everywhere you know holding rudimentary weapons in their hands and it's it's a frightening concept um, you know, clearly, you know, it's a, it would be a grown man versus a, you know, a bunch of kids. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, the quantity is going to outpower the quality here. And, um, you know, at, at that point, Vicky is murdered. And then Bert rushes into the corn where he, he, he meets he who walks behind the rose. And, and that's it. That's it for our characters. You know, there, there's no um suggestion that there's going to be a happy ending you know there's no uh i'm going to take these two orphans under my wing for uh for a week and then that's it kids see you later because i i you know care too much about me um you know the movie or the the book concludes with uh you know the 18 year olds having to walk into corn because the the he who walks behind the rose was displeased with the fact that it had to dispatch the sacrifice 
um, by by itself that the, the you know that Bert had not been sacrificed to him. So he he lowers the the age um, of the sacrifice to eighteen. And uh, as Malachi and you know the other eighteen year olds walk into the corn with Ruth, um, sorry, walk into the, the corn. Um, we, we get a little bit of perspective of Ruth who is carrying Malachi's child and, and this is a little bit of a detail that that you know demonstrates how the children will continue to, to worship the creature you know even if they self-sacrifice at the age of 18 um, you know the, they just you know keep the bloodlines going whereas in the movie um, we don't get that sense and um, you know like, like, like I said you know the movie's a lot of fun you know the concept itself is very unnerving um, but one thing that I, I think that that's really good, um, is the description on page 268 of, of Night Shift, my edition. It's Bert, uh, in the, the old Baptist church. Um, and he thinks to himself, um, something had happened in 1964, something to do with religion and corn and children. And the knife raised high to sacrifice the lamb. But had it been a lamb? Perhaps a religious mania had swept them. Alone, all alone, cut off from the outside world by hundreds of square miles of the rustling secret corn. Alone under the 70 million acres of blue sky. Alone under the watchful eye of God. Now a strange green god. A god of corn. Grown old and strange and hungry. He who walks behind the rose. Bert fell a chill creep into his flesh. Um, so, I mean, it seems like that, that are able to just really get you into the, the head of the characters and, you know, what could be in the hands of a, a lesser writer, a bunch of kids, um, might not be terrifying, but Stephen King dev is definitely able to, to make it, you know, really chilling. And, um, you know, the entire time I just f kept thinking that this, um, more so than, than a lot of his stories really felt like, a, like an old EC Comics issue. You know, I mean, as I discussed in, in Night Shift um, last week, the, uh, the, the, the collection even begins um, with a preface by Stephen King. It's a foreword in, in which he reminded me of, you know, the Crypt Keeper, you know, talking to the audience before he launched into the short stories. So, I mean, that's very appropriate for this kind of story. Because I could just, I can just see the cover of this if it was an old EC Comics, you know, of, of Bert, you know, walking through the corn, you know, with the, the he who hides behind the rose, you know, rising behind him. So that's, you know, I mean, I don't really have too much more to say about uh, Children of the Corn. Um, I think that it speaks for itself. Uh, it, it's fun. You know, it's a creepy premise. Uh, it was popular enough to, to, to launch seven sequels and a remake and that that's a huge testament i mean that's like friday the 13th uh level of of sequels there um you know i mean and and friday the 13th is you know definitely um i, I always thought that that jason was the the frankenstein's monster of our time uh if if freddy krueger is our dracula then then jason was our our frankenstein and i can see why there was so many you know sequels to that and and um uh, you know, Children of the Corn had had a number, so I mean, something about it just you know keeps on keeps on going. People respond to this concept um, of this this little town shut off from the rest of the world uh, that that is almost recognizable to us, but oh, so much creepier. 
So if you like um, Children of the Corn, um, you know, there's a couple suggestions that you could go out to read. Um, first of, uh, the first of them would be um, In the Tall Grass by, uh, by Stephen King and his son, the, the, the um, acclaimed uh, novelist Joe Hill. They teamed up to do a short story that um, it, it's very similar. Um, and instead of corn, it's tall grass. And it, it, rather than just being a conflict of, you know, the, the adults versus the children, this is much more surreal and just it has a disturbing danger to it, uh, the likes of which um, children of the corn don't. It's uh, it it, it kind of makes you feel like you're going crazy while you're reading it. It's very very effective, and it's a great tag team between father and son. And then anything really by by Lovecraft, um, the Shadow over Innsmouth, uh, specifically, um, which is about a, you know, an academic coming to this uh, small seaside town and realizing that something is is definitely not right with the town. Um, I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, and if you just want to skip right to the movies, uh, and you could go watch um, In the Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter, which, uh, which is inspired by a, a Stephen King-type writer um, mixed with H.P. Lovecraft. Or you could watch Dagon, which is the, the film adaptation of uh, Shadow Over Its Mouth. So there, there's some suggestions out there for you if, if you did like Children of the Corn and, and want to see uh, you know, what's similar. So uh, next week, we, uh, we, we should be reviewing uh, The Stand, which is the, the next book in the order of publication. But um, I'm not going to be reviewing the 78 version of The Stand. Instead, I am going to review the 1990, the complete and uncut edition of The Stand, um, which will take place after uh, the review of The Dark Half. Um, so that means that I will skip ahead to where The Stand was published um, and go to 1979's The Dead Zone, um, and then that will be followed by the, uh, the David Cronenberg-directed um, uh, Christopher Walken-starring um, movie with the same name. So... Uh, thanks for, for tuning in this week, and I will see you here next week. Same King time, same King channel, Stephen King Cat. And as I still walk on, I think of the things we've done together.